We hope you'll be blessed and inspired and challenged and motivated by this fresh word from Christian Heritage Church. My brother, come, Shonda, stand. Let us welcome you this morning. James and Shonda Newman, will you welcome them to CHC this morning? I love these guys. They're like kids and family to me, and we're just glad they're finally here. God bless you, brother. Take it away. Praise the Lord. God is good. Amen. And the presence of the Lord is in this place this morning. Uh, Steve and Yvonne are uh, just, uh, I just want you to know you have wonderful pastors here. Uh, amazing pastors. And, um, you know, if it wasn't for Steve's heart and love for people, I wouldn't be where I am today. Uh, I can remember a lot of times uh, as a teenager running from God, debating with God, doing things that a teenager does, you know. And uh, many times he would pick me up after football games and talk straight to me, which is what I needed. And uh, a lot of times when I was struggling and battling things, he was there encouraging me, took me on my first missions trip, had a black eye, hung over. I got saved and called into the ministry on that missions trip in Mexico. And so that's an impact. It's a great thing in my life. <clears throat> And so uh, I look at it as though I'm a Timothy, he's my Paul. And uh, there's times I call him, I'm like, I'm dealing with an idiot, how do I take care of it? You know, and he says, because uh, if you were from Ark City, I could write a book. And I'm telling you, you would just, uh, you would be amazed at the, the people in Ark City. But anyway, I won't go there. <laughs> I think they're everywhere, you know. But uh, anyway, I just want you to know that uh, I love you, Steve, Yvonne. Thank you so much for your investment in our family. And uh, it means a lot. You have great pastors. Love them and support them because they're awesome people and they love Jesus. Most importantly, and they love people. And that's what's important about the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. Well, we went and talked a, a few weeks ago, actually a little over a month ago, about me coming and sharing the, the word. Um, that week I'd been listening to a message by John Gray. Uh, I, I love listening to John Gray. I don't know if any of you listen to him, but he's a, a great uh, preacher of the word. And I was listening to him and... He, uh, he shared a scripture, and I'm going to share it here in just a little while, but he shared a scripture, and it resonated with my spirit. And then uh, the next day, I was listening to the House FM, which is a radio station down there, a Christian radio station, and the very same scripture was being read on that uh, radio station. So I thought, you know, I really feel like this is the direction that the Lord is leading and what God would want me to do. And so I'm going to share that with you this morning, and I'm going to come from that avenue this morning from the Word. But if you have your Bibles, we're going to be going to 2 Samuel chapter number 12. And uh, let me just tell you, my very first sermon that Pastor Steve let me preach, I had six pages of notes, front and back. And uh, it took me less than six minutes to preach that message. When I said I was finished, he looked at me like, "Uh, what do I do? But uh, I promise you, I won't go that quick this morning. I am a quick speaker. I I talk fast, so you just got to buckle up and hang on with me. But uh, I truly believe the Lord is going to move in this place this morning in a powerful way. And so today I want to minister to you. I want to share with you personally for some things that you may be going through, situations that you may be going through in your life today. 
And what I would ask you to do this morning as, as a congregation is to uh, ask God to open your heart this morning because I truly believe that uh, God will speak to you on the frequency that you are tuned into. And I believe if we open our, heart, our hearts and our lives to receive from the Lord, then God is going to bless us and he's going to move in our hearts and he's going to touch us right where we're at this morning. And so I want to challenge you this morning to ask God, you know, God, what is it that you want to speak to my heart today? And I truly believe God will speak that into your heart and into your life this morning. And so if there was one person in the word of God this morning in the scripture that understood God's goodness and understood what it meant to really walk in what God has called you to be, uh, who understood the covenant that God had made with, with him, the blessings that God had given him and who walked within the privilege and the permission, if you will, that God had conferred upon him. I think more than any other character in the Old Testament, that would be David this morning. He was somebody who really knew who his God was. He knew who God, what God wanted in his life, and he knew what God had called him to do. And so this morning, we're going to be going to a verse from 2 Samuel, and I'm going to read to you from 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel a lot this morning, so just keep your hands there. But this is towards the end of David's life, and he says something in this psalm that he had written about God's goodness. And I think it gives us a clue this morning to how he saw God's presence and the way he saw God's purpose. 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse number 20 says this this morning. He brought me out into a spacious place and he rescued me because he delighted in me. Now, if you look at David's life this morning, this is a man who uh, had fought many fights. He had faced many battles, uh, many failures, and, and many failures were uh, because of his own uh, understanding. But he was a man who had been on the run. He was a man who had been attacked. Uh, he knew what it was to be hated and he knew what it was to, uh, to be liked and have his very life under siege. And so you look at David's life this morning and when he was looking back over it all, I want you to see what he was thinking. He said this, he brought me into a spacious place. This is a man who spent most of his life, a large portion, if you will, of his adolescent years and beyond on the run. He was running from people. This was a man who had spent many nights in caves because, uh, uh, because he was being chased for his very life. There was a bounty upon his head. But when he looked back over his life, he assessed it like this. He said, God brought me out into a spacious place. Now, how can you spend the night in caves and still at the end of your life talk about a spacious place? And that's exactly what we see here in the life of David this morning. That's where he was. And in order to understand this morning how David could say that at the end of his life, I want to take just a few examples. I'm going to share some things with you this morning. In fact, I'm going to represent it with a few symbols this morning. And I want to talk to you about the, the, the horn and the sword and the robe this morning. And so using these three items, I want to walk you through three times in David's life where God spoke to David or gave it, or, or God gave David permission to be who he was and to do what he was to do in life. And so in order to do this, we need to start with a, a passage of scripture that comes before we ever hear David's name mentioned. And I want to set this up with a little bit of background this morning. There's, this is one of those sermons I truly believe with all of my heart that uh, if you stay engaged in the background, when I get to the meat of it, you're going to get excited and you're going to understand and see where I'm coming from this morning. But I believe God wants to say in our lives today that no matter what situation you are in, no matter what you're going through in life today, no matter how life has beat you down, God is there to pick you up and to push you forward. And you don't have to live in yesterday because God has plans for you, not only today, but tomorrow and the remainder of your life. Amen. And so I want to talk about the horn this morning for just a moment, and I'm going to use a few uh, illustrations this morning, but the horn is something that back in the Old Testament time, they would take a horn similar to this, and what they would do is they would, uh, they would anoint a king with it. They would fill it up with oil, and they, they, would, they, would, they would take this, and they would pour it over the king's head, if you will. And so David, think about this, he was the greatest king that Israel had ever known. 
But when we first meet David, he's no great king. He's not set up as a king at all. In fact, he's not even considered as a candidate for a king, if you will. And let me tell you what I mean by that. Well, there's a prophet by the name of Samuel and a a king by the name of Saul. Saul was the first king that Israel had ever had. And so uh, Saul had all of the external appearances of a great king. He was tall. He was handsome. He looked good. He had all these appearances of, hey, this is a great king. This is who we need in our lives. And so he had all these appearances. He had a great military mind. And so there's nothing that he shouldn't have been able to do because that's who he was. But at a certain point during Saul's career as king, he became very impatient and he became very uh, irrational, if you will. And so he became a little schizophrenic and he had become a, he, he'd, be, he'd become paranoid. He started doing things that God had uh, commanded him not to do. And he started doing things that uh, and not doing the things that God wanted him to do. And so uh, you come to this verse of scripture and in, in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 28, and God basically in a roundabout way says, you know what? I'm done with Saul. I've chosen a better king. And that's what it says there in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 28. So Saul, think about this, was the king that the people of Israel wanted. Now, God didn't even want them to have a king. You need to understand this. God wanted to be their king. But Israel wanted a physical person. They wanted, they wanted a physical king. And so they decided, you know what, this is what we want. And I want you to hear me this morning. And I want you to get this this morning. And what you need to know is that sometimes God will give you permission to pursue something that he doesn't want you to have. Because he's not going to treat you like a robot. Okay, I want you to understand this. And sometimes you're going to get the thing that you thought you wanted only to find out that you didn't want what you've already got. But God allowed you to pursue it because you were going against the will of God for your life. And so this happened to Israel. And when they were, where they wanted a king, they wanted this physical king. They, they, they got a king, understand this. His name was Saul. He looked good. Eventually his heart became very hard. And so God speaks very clearly to the prophet Samuel. The one who had taken the horn of oil, who poured it over Saul's head, anointed him and conferred upon him the privileges and permissions of kingship. In front of the entire nation of Israel. And God speaks to Samuel and says, you know what? I'm done with him. I'm finished with him. We're not going to do this any longer. We're moving on and I've got another king in mind. Now, Samuel was very sad. He was upset. He was hurt because this, uh, because he had invested his life in Saul. He'd he'd done things for Saul. He'd poured his life into Saul. And let's be honest. It would be kind of like if I was to turn my back on God. And, and start living a lifestyle of sin, I know it would break Pastor, uh, Pastor Dow's heart because he's invested in me. He's done things for my life. And so that's where Samuel is right now. He's, 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 he's invested into Saul's life. He's done things for Saul. And so he's hurt. His, his heart is hurt at this moment. Samuel becomes very sad. He'd been the one to call Saul forward and he was the one who announced him as king and he really wanted Saul to get it. Get it. And he, he worked with Saul. He did a lot of things for Saul's life. And listen to me this morning. I know that some of you may be disappointed because you've poured yourself into people. You've poured yourself into situations. You've poured yourself into people's lives. And it's kind of hard to give up on somebody, especially the more that you have invested in them. It's kind of hard to walk away from something that you have a lot invested in. That's the situation with Samuel here. The Bible says that he never went to see Saul again, but he grieved for him. And then God speaks to Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse number 1. One of the most powerful scriptures that I... That most of us have never even read. The Lord said this to Samuel. How long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil 
and be on your way. What's he say? Because I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. Now, who has he chosen to be king? David. Some of you were listening at the beginning. Thank you. David. We know that he's speaking of David, but listen to me. Samuel doesn't know this. Samuel doesn't know which son he's going to be choosing. All Samuel knows is that he's disappointed, he's upset, because what he had hoped for was not going to happen. That Saul would be a godly king is not going to happen. That Saul would walk in the ways of God was not going to happen. The original plan didn't succeed. And so now he's mourning, and out of his mourning and into his future, God speaks and he says, How long are you going to mourn for what I have rejected? Now, let me just get up in your business for a little bit this morning. And I want you to hang on to what I have to say. I wonder this morning if God is looking at some of us with that very same question today. If he's looking at you thinking, hey, listen to me. How long are you going to stay in that season of your life? How long are you going to live in the past? How long are you going to keep dredging up what I want you to move forward from? How long are you going to live in what could have been when I've got something for you for today? How long are you going to relive the pain of something that's already passed? How long are you going to compromise your destiny because you can't get past your history and what happened yesterday? How long are you going to be going, or how long are you going to let the same thing affect your life five years from now when I've said move on because I've got a dream and a destiny for you? How long, CHC, are you going to live in yesterday when God has a purpose for tomorrow? Amen. Amen. Let me do a today rendering of 1 Samuel 16, 1. How long are you going to hang out on your ex-boyfriend's Facebook page wishing? Come on. How long are you going to hang out on your ex-husband's Facebook page wishing? Come on. Listen, when the original plan does not succeed, it can be difficult to see any hope in the future. I understand that. It can. For 16 years, we tried to have a child. For 16 years, we tried to move the hand of God with infertility and going through all the rigmarole. But can I tell you three years ago, when we stepped off the airplane in China and we met our daughter for the first time, I would change 16 years because of what God did three years ago. But sometimes we are so blinded by our purpose, our desire, what we want, what we long for, that we miss out on God's plan. How long will you mourn for Saul? When David's in the wings. That's right. Come on. You see, so many of us stay stuck on Saul and we never get to David. So many of us are so devastated because the way we thought it would happen is not the way it happened. And we never recover our enthusiasm and we never regain our vision and move forward into the future that God has prepared. So you thought it would be this way. You thought it would be that way. How long are you going to stay there? How long are you going to watch American Idol? Or The Voice, thinking if I wasn't married to this family, I could be a star. Come on. Come on. How long are you going to stay in what was? When you were a junior in high school, you were a star wide receiver. Nobody could move like you. Think about it this morning. Nobody could act like you. But then came the MRI and you found out you wouldn't be going to college on a scholarship. Now all you've got to prove that you played in a state championship is a limp, a bad back, and a hobble. How long are you going to let your, uh, allow the imagination of what might have been rob you from the possibility of what God can be today in your life and in your situation? 
How long are you going to stay there? And so we look at this this morning. And God says, if you'll lift up your horn. If you'll lift up your horn, Samuel, I've got fresh oil. And I want you to understand something this morning. The oil represents two things in Scripture. One is the anointing. That is the enablement and the empowerment to do God's will in your life and your purpose. Number two is joy this morning. That is enthusiasm in the purpose of God for your life. God says to Samuel, and he says to you, and he says to me this morning, I know you've lost some things. I know some things didn't turn out the way you thought they should turn out. I know some things, uh, some deals went bad. I understand the business didn't pan, pan out the way you thought it was going to, and you're a little embarrassed this morning. But how long will you live in the perpetual embarrassment and vain imagination of what could have been when I can give you the power, the anointing, and the joy to step into what I have for you in tomorrow's future and plan for your life? So what I'm here to tell you this morning is stop living in yesterday and start living today for the King of Kings. God says to Samuel, you know what? I know you've lost some things. I know some things didn't turn out. But I'm here to give you the strength and power you need. So I'm telling you this morning, and if you don't get anything out of what I say, write this down and get it this morning. You can stay stuck in this, but here's the problem. If you stay stuck in what was, you're going to miss what is and you'll never see what could be. If you stay stuck in what was, you are going to miss what is. And you'll never step into what was supposed to be. So what I'm telling you this morning is move on. Lift your horn. Trust God that he's not left you in in your present because of something that happened to you in your past. But he wants to bring you out into a spacious place for your future. And if Saul failed you, there's a David waiting in the wings. But you've got to lift your horn and you've got to ask God to fill you. You've got to ask God to fill you. Can we just do that right now for a moment? Come on. Father, just right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, I know that there's some people in this place this morning, God. They're they're struggling from the past. They're hurting this morning because of things that that have happened to them. Maybe something that an individual did to them, Lord God, when they were young, Father, but maybe an ex-husband or an ex-wife walking out, whatever it may look like this morning. God, they're struggling. But I pray this morning that they would lift up that horn. God, that they would lift it up to you this morning and you would fill them afresh this morning. Fill them anew this morning, Lord God. Stop living in yesteryear and start living in today in the power of Jesus. So we surrender to you this morning in the name of Jesus. Amen. And amen. Listen, church, moving on does not mean that you don't care. I want you to get this this morning. It just means that you can't change what happened. You can't change yesterday. Moving on doesn't mean you stop hurting. It doesn't mean that you, that, that, it doesn't mean that you don't have pain. Moving on doesn't mean that you even stop wishing this morning. It could have been different. It, it should have been different. It would have, it would have been different. What it means this morning is that you really can't change the circumstance. You lift what is left of your life to God and you say, you know what, God? I'm empty. I messed up. I, le- I left. A, I, I'm, dis- I, 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 I'm disappointed in, in, in that thing in my life. I blew it. They hurt me. They did these things to my life and I'm hurting, but here's my heart. Here's my life. Here's my situation. Here's who I am. I'm giving it to you. Take my pain and replace it with joy this morning. (coughs) Excuse me. This pollen you have down here is killing me. And you may have to say today, church, listen, here's my horn. Here it is. I'm lifting it to you. 
Here's my heart. It's in broken pieces. And what happened in my life. But here's my horn. In other words, I'm still mourning. But I'm moving on. I'm still hurting. But I'm moving on. You just have to lift your life to the Lord, church. And say, if you can feel me, then feel me. If you can use me, then use me. But it's time to move on. I can't go back there. I can't reinvent that part of my life again. I can't recalibrate it. I can't make it happen. I can't rescript it. But what I can do this morning is I can respond to what you're doing in this moment. And so God, bring me David because I'm tired of living with Samuel or with Saul. I'm tired of living with Saul. Bring me David. You know, some of you that may work with hospice, there's a lot of times that people with hospice tell you that um, those individuals that are passing away, that sometimes you just need to give those who are dying permission to go to heaven. To let them move on, to go, to go home. And maybe this morning, those of you that are here, those of you that are watching, maybe there's some of you this morning that you're in this place today and you just need permission to let a dream die so that you can let God's dream come alive in your life today. Amen. The original plan didn't work. It didn't happen the way you wanted it to work out. People are looking at you saying, I told you so. I told you this is how it would be. You can't get that one back, church. But you can draw the wisdom from the failure. And you can go forward in faith. Because I'm telling you this morning, it's time to move forward. And to move on in the power of Jesus Christ. So your dream died. That doesn't mean that your hope has to die. The relationship is over. It's time to quit waiting by the phone, hoping they might call you back. What I'm telling you is this. They've moved on. You've got Jesus and it's time for you to move on. There's a fresh anointing. A fresh empowerment and a fresh enthusiasm. So lift your horn, lift your heart, lift your hands and tell the devil, you know what? You've taken enough. You're not having another drop of this oil from my horn because God promised me that he'll fill it. He'll lift me up and he'll take care of me in the power of Jesus Christ. Amen. Listen, can I tell you something? Some seasons are never coming back. Take this for what it is. You're never going to be that size again. Okay? So go ahead and buy you a size 12 and just move on and live in that life. Amen? Amen. It's time to move on. Amen? Number two this morning. Sometimes God gives you permission to fill your horn. We understand that. And saying, you know what? We're not going to get that season back. We're not going to move on. We can't move on any longer. Sometimes God gives you permission. Hey, fill the horn. But the second thing I want to show you from David's life is that sometimes God calls you to draw your sword. And I know I just have a little dagger here, but I'm just pretending it's a sword this morning. Sometimes God calls you to draw your sword and go get what the enemy has taken from you. One time, David, if you think, if you, you know, you know the story, he was out on, he'd been out on a journey with his men. He was, he wasn't king at the time. It had, actually, it was, it was over a decade after he was anointed king, but yet he wasn't king yet. So Saul was trying to take his life because Saul knew what was going on. And if you know there's something, I truly believe there's something about the protective power of God if, you're God, if, if God has called you. 
If God has selected you, if God said, hey, this is what's going to happen. I believe there's a, a, a protective power that God gives you that nobody can take it from you. And so here he is, Paul or, or, or David is on the run. And, you know, I, I truly believe that he was never really in danger because until God says it's time to come home, I think you're immortal. That's it. That may sound a little crazy, but there's times that I'm on the airplane. I'm like, God, you're not done with me yet. All these people need to thank me because it's going to be okay. So while he's on the run, think about this. He comes back from a journey and I'm not going to give you the background, but you can go to first Samuel chapter 30 and read it later on if you want to in the entire story. But he finds when he returns back from, uh, 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 back to this place called Ziklag that the city basically had been left, uh, um, uh, secure. I mean, it had been burned to the ground. There was nothing left here. Not only was Ziklag burned to ashes, but everything that was there, the wives, the daughters of the 600 men who had gone with David, they had been taken away by a group of enemy raiders. And scripture says upon this, two things happened. Number one, David and his men grieved with so much passion. And with so much pain that they grieved until they couldn't cry anymore and they couldn't grieve anymore. And as they were at that point, uh, uh, at, at that point, the scripture says, David found strength in the Lord. And the second thing that happened is because of all this that took place, the men talked about killing David or stoning David. They talked about destroying his life because he was the one who took us out of Ziklag to fight this battle. But David found some strength. And I'm, I'm not sure how much strength that he had found, friend. And it may not have been much at the time. But sometimes, can I tell you something? All you need is a little bit of God's strength to keep you going forward for the kingdom of God. And so it says that he found enough strength to go consult the priest. And this is where we're going to pick up in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse number 7. It says, Then David said to Abiathar the priest, son of a, 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 a Amalek, Bring me the ephod. Now, this is the way the kings or any leader would seek the Lord. I want you to see this. They would call for the priest and they would directly inquire of the Lord through the priest. And Abiathar brought it to him, verse number eight. And David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue this party? In other words, what he's saying is, listen, I don't know where my wife is. I don't know where my children are. I don't know where my stuff is. I don't know where all the families are for these men. But should I set out on a mission to recover these things? And he goes on to say, will I overtake them? Asking the question, do I have permission basically to pursue the enemy? And here comes the answer from God. He says, pursue them. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. And so David sets out. And that was all, friend, listen to me, of the permission that he needed. That it's going to be okay. So he draws his sword and he forges through the valley and he embarks on the pursuit. And then look at verse number 10. It says that when they got to the valley, 200 of them were too exhausted to cross the valley. But David and the other 400 continued the pursuit. So some people decided this is too hard and we don't even know if our families are alive. We don't even know where we're going. And so they gave up. They ran out of strength, but David continued the pursuit. And I want you to see the end of the story because this is a very cool thing to me and it's such a great moment to celebrate in David's life. Verse number 18 says this, David recovered everything the Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. And then verse number 19, I want to show you this. Nothing was missing. So what was missing? Nothing. Nothing was missing, young or old, boy or girl, plunder or anything else they had taken. David brought everything back. Now, sometimes, church, listen to me. Sometimes God says, lift your horn. You're not getting this one back. Lift your horn, let me fill it afresh and anew, and it's time to move on. It's time to go forward. But I truly believe other times God says, you know what? This one, you've got to fight for. 
This one you've got to chase down. This one you need to pray and fast for. This one you need to believe me for. This one you've got to take your sword out of the sheath and you've got to get back what I've promised you. This one you've got to pursue the enemy. This one you've got to go after the enemy. Because, friend, listen to me. The other times you've got to fight for it. Other times you've got to go after it. This is your families. We understand that. This isn't just some gold, silver uh, 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 treasure. This is your son. This is your daughter. This is the one who's walked away from God. And sometimes you've got to get on your face before the Lord and say, God, I'm not turning loose of the horn of the altar until they come back to know you. Until I get back what the enemy has stolen from me. We're not giving up until you remove this cancer from my life until I'm healed by the power of Jesus Christ. Sometimes you got to fight for it, church. Sometimes you got to chase it. There are times that you have to fight back when the enemy takes something from you that God has given to you. And when something God wants you to have has been taken away, the only solution is to pursue God on the basis of his promise. Everybody know who Ricky Henderson is? Old baseball player? I read a story about Ricky Henderson. He played for the Oakland A's. One of the best base stealers in the world. It's a true story. You can Google it. Google it never lies. When he got his first sizable check, it was a million dollar check. A few weeks after he got it, the business department of the Oakland A's called and said, listen, Ricky, did you get that million dollar check we sent you? And Ricky said, yeah, I got it. And they said, well, it hadn't cleared our offices yet. We need to reconcile our books and take care of everything. It wasn't a small amount of money. And they said, what'd you do with the check? He said, well, I framed it and I hung it on my wall. (laughs) And they explained to him, Ricky, you're not a millionaire because you hung a million dollar check on your wall. You got to cash it. Can I tell you something this morning, church? There's a process to activate the funds. Come on. There's a process. You see, the word of God says in Hebrews chapter 11 or chapter 4, verse number 12, that the word of God is living and active. Sharper than any two-edged, double-edged sword. But I'm telling you this morning, you can have the word and you can have the promises of God. But until you pursue the promises of God, you won't have the victory. And sometimes, y'all, I know the word. I've got it memorized. Sometimes I know what this says. But friend, I'm telling you this morning, sometimes we got to put action to the promises of God if we're going to receive the victory that God has in store for you and I. It is living. It is active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. But friend, I'm telling you this morning, you've got to pursue the promises of God if you're going to receive the victory that God has in your life. You can have those things. And so I'm coming here to tell you this morning, some of you need to take the check down off the wall. You need to take the sword out of the sheath and you got to get some, you got to believe this morning and you got to come back and you got to understand, you got to fight for some stuff that the enemy has stolen from your life to fight back for your marriage, to fight back for the heart of your kids, to fight, to fight back for financial freedom this morning, to fight back for your health and to fight back for Tallahassee and the community uh, community here to fight back for everything that God has promised you because I'm telling you this morning the promise is the permission so you've got to pursue and believe what God has for your life today the best part out of the entire thing and I love God's word it's so alive listen to me is when you feel like the enemy has stolen something from you To me, that's the greatest opportunity that you're ever going to have to be a living demonstration of the restoration power of God in your life. Why didn't God go in and keep the Amalekites from raiding David's base to begin with? Why didn't he do that? 
Because I truly believe then David couldn't have demonstrated the recovering, overcoming, empowering strength of God and what he was to do. He brought back everything. The scripture says he brought it all back. Wives, children, spoils. He brought it all back. When something leaves your life and you can't change it, take the horn. Fill it afresh with the, Lord, with the power of the Lord and move on. When the enemy has stolen something that God wants you to have, you draw your sword and you fight back and you recover. If it takes you years, you recover. If it takes 15 more years, you recover. If it takes 20 years for you you to be the first addict in your family no longer to be addicted, you fight until you're set free. You see, I grew up in an alcoholic's home. My dad was a bad alcoholic. There was many times that we packed our bags, my mom and my two brothers and I, and we went to grandma's. A lot of times. And that sin was being passed down to me. I was going to school drunk. I was, going to do, I was, doing, things, I was doing things that I was not proud of. But you know, just like Pastor Steve said a moment ago, there was a time that my family and I Surrendered our lives to Jesus Christ. I can remember it. It was February the 14th, Valentine's Day. We surrendered our life to Jesus Christ. Now, I just did it with my mind because later on I still played and did things I shouldn't have done until I really had that heart transformation. You see, some of us, we just have a mind transformation. We need a heart transplant. And I surrendered my life to Jesus. We surrendered our lives to Jesus. And I believe at that very moment, that generational curse... Amen. was broken That's right. and now I have a daughter I don't have to worry about because God has her wrapped in his hands this morning and so what I'm telling you this morning is if it takes 15 years you fight if it takes 20 years you fight and you become all that God has called you to be Amen. because here's the thing some people they're going to stop in the valley and that's alright but you continue the pursuit you push forward and you press on. Some people are going to say it's a waste of time. It's a waste of talent. You just, you just need to give up. But friend, I'm telling you, you've got to continue the pursuit. Some people are going to say, why don't you just give up on him? He's never going to change and love you the way you deserve to be loved. But you're not done fighting yet. You're not ready to throw in the towel yet. When your kids start to disconnect from you emotionally, spiritually, It's not a time for you to move on, but it's a time for you to pull out your sword and you fight for those kids in your life. No matter what it takes, no matter what it costs, we're going to work this out. Because with me and God, we're a majority. And greater is he that's in me than he that's in this world this morning. I'm standing on the promises of God. Napoleon Hill, who was an author of the most successful self-help book of his day, said that that most people stop digging three feet from gold. And as he was interviewing the 500 most successful men in America in his time, each of them told him one way or another that their greatest victory came exactly one step beyond the point at which defeat had overtaken them. Because I'm telling you this morning, church, it's right after Ziklag had been burned to the ground. And just when it looks like the ashes can never be revived, 
And just when they shut the lid on the borrowed tomb, that the third day comes. I hope you understand where I'm coming from this morning. It may have looked bleak. It may have looked, hey, 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 our Savior's dead. There's no hope. But I'm going to tell you something. The third day came. And the same power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in our mortal bodies this morning. And so what I'm telling you, if God had the power to raise Jesus from the dead, then I'm telling you, we have the power to raise up our dreams and our hopes and our ambitions. But I'm telling you, we got to lift up our horn. we got to pull out our sword. And we got to say, God, here's what I have. I'm giving it to you this morning. Amen. Say, fill your horn. Well, some of you are with me this morning. Say, draw your sword. sword. And here's the third one. Because I really thought that I would just close out after I talked about the horn and the sword. And we'd walk out of here with Bible in hand and all pumped up and amped up. But I thought about another time in David's life. And this probably wasn't the proudest moment of David's life. And I'm sure that if David could go back and rewrite his biography... He would have not included this in the section of his book. But people who've grown up in church, they know about David's big sin in 2 Samuel chapter 11, where he was walking around on the rooftop. He looked across the way, saw Bathsheba. Isn't it funny how the Bible works? Bathsheba and she was taking a bath. I know we don't tell good jokes in Kansas. But I want you to think about this. He's been king for a long time now. He'd never lost a battle. God had given him great victory. But apparently some complacency probably had set in into his life. Because he wasn't at war, he should have been at war leading his men. He saw a woman bathing, and I won't take long because you all know the story. And He looks over and he basically, in a roundabout way, she's beautiful. And David says, bring, me, bring her to me. And when he said that, he was in effect, even though she was somebody else's, I want you to understand this this morning, he was in effect forcibly taking her. And so she comes to him and he, she has no choice and so she sleeps with her, or he sleeps with her and he has her husband killed to cover up the, the entire thing, you know the story. So the prophet Nathan comes to David in one of the most, I think, insightful exchanges on confrontation anywhere in literature. And in 2 Samuel chapter 12... He says this thing that you have done has displeased the Lord. And because of your sin, this baby that is about to be born to Bathsheba, because of this union, this baby is going to die. God's going to let you live, David. He still loves you. He's forgiven you. He's taken your sin away. But the baby that she's going to have is going to die. Basically saying there's consequences to this, you understand. And so David becomes very, very set. And the Bible says that he's a fighter. We understand that. So he brings out a spiritual sword this time and he starts to fast and deprive himself of food. And he doesn't change his clothes for days. He lays before the Lord in sackcloth and ashes, asking God to spare this baby's life. And yet God doesn't do it because, can I just be honest with you, church? Sometimes God just doesn't do it. That's right. He just doesn't. So that's where he's at. And David's men, they're so concerned about his mental state and what's going on because he's been in so much agony and pain and so many days they they don't know how to tell him that the child has died. So the news comes back that the baby had died and they're conversing on how to break the news to the king. And then in 
verse number 19 of chapter 12, the scripture says this. David noticed that his attendants were, worsh- or were whispering among themselves. And he realized the child was dead. And he says, is the child dead? He asked. And they replied, yes, he is dead. So what's David going to do next? You think about this this morning. The child's dead. He created this mess in his life. He's covered in shame, wrapped in rags of his own unrighteousness. What's David going to do now? Well, verse number 20 says, Then David got up from the ground. After he had washed, he put on lotions and he changed his clothes. He went into the house of the Lord and he worshiped. And then he went to his own house and at his request, they served him food and he ate. Now, his attendants were very confused about what was going on here. And verse 21 says, his attendants asked him, why are you acting this way? While the child was alive, you fasted, you wept. But now that the child is dead, you get up and you eat. He answered, while the child was still alive, I fasted and I wept. I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now that he is dead, why should I go on fasting? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. Verse 24. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba, and he went and he made, uh, uh, went to her, and he made love to her. She gave birth to a son. They named him Solomon. And can I tell you something? Solomon became even a greater king than David. David said, you know, I wish, and I'm going to ask the worship team to come back this morning if they would, please. David said, you know, I wish, I wish in the depths of me that I hadn't done this thing. And what I'm telling you this morning, church, is this. When you have fallen short and you feel ashamed and when you've done things that you wish you could change and you could redo, when it's cost you, not, uh, but not only you, those around you, others around you, things that you wish you could repay but you can't, what do you do? Where do you go? Where do you turn? What do you do in those moments? And I truly believe and I truly think this morning that the message of the robe is there comes a time that we just need to change our clothes. There comes a time that we just need to get up. We need to rise up and we need to go into the presence of God and we need to receive the robe of righteousness. Because I think sometimes, church, we run around in our robes of unrighteousness way too long. And sometimes we've got to take that robe. And we've got to say, you know what, God, I messed up. I made a mistake. I, I, I screwed this thing up big time. But I'm telling you this morning, church, there comes a time when you can't change what happened yesterday. And you've just got to repent. And you've got to take off that clothes of, that cloth of unrighteousness. And you've got to put this robe of righteousness around you. And you need to realize that sin you did yesterday, it's not going to matter when you stand before Jesus. Because today, you're clothed in righteousness. And when you stand before Him, when you stand before God, He's not going to see what you did. But He's going to see who saved you and set you free. The clothes. The robe of righteousness. You may not be able to change yesterday, but that's all right. You move forward. So David says, I wish I would have never done this thing. I wish in the depths of me, I wouldn't have brought all this pain on all these people. But I can't stay in these clothes forever. I can't stay on this ground forever. I can't starve myself to say I'm sorry enough. So I'm going to change my clothes. I'm going to wear the robe anyway. I'm going to believe in all of my heart that the grace of God covers over whatever I did and whoever I've been. Whoever I've been. 
So today, Lord, clothe me in your righteousness. I'm exchanging my robe. And church, I believe this is the essence of the gospel. Some have called it the great exchange. Our unrighteousness for his righteousness. Because the scripture says that our righteousness is as his filthy rags. But he has arrayed us in Christ with robes of righteousness. So when we stand before him, can I tell you something? When we stand before him at the throne one day, all who are in Christ Jesus will stand clothed in the righteousness that belongs not to us, but has been freely given to us in the Son whom he loves, Jesus Christ. So what I'm telling you this morning is this. It's time to change your clothes and move forward with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Amen? Stand with me this morning, if you would, all across this place today. Let me finish by saying this to you. It's time to have another baby. It's time to have another baby. Solomon became the greatest king ever. And so I'm giving you permission, I guess. Backsliders who used to be close to God, you're not close to him anymore. Two months off a divorce, maybe you've been using drugs behind your parents' back, whatever it may look like this morning. This is a time for you to exchange your robe today and let the love and the blood and the grace of Jesus Christ surround you and cover you and make you new today. Maybe you've not been the father that you should have been this morning. Maybe you've missed out on some key moments in your children's life today. I don't know what it looks like for you today. But maybe there's some things in your life that you wish you could go back and do, but you can't because yesterday was yesterday. But I truly believe this morning with all of my heart that there's fresh oil to be uh, to, uh, for your horn. There's, a, there's, a, there's a, a fresh anointing for your life today. I believe some of you this morning, you need to pull the sword out of the sheath and you need to say, you know what? I'm going after that. What God has promised me, I'm not going to let the enemy take it from me any longer. I'm going to pursue it today and I'm going to get it back. And then I, I believe there's some of you in this place this morning that you're living in sin. Your heart is not right with Christ. And can I just be real and honest with you, church? Not everybody goes to heaven. Not everybody does. There is a heaven and there is a hell. And if you are separated and away from Jesus, heaven will not be your home. And today you need to exchange that robe of unrighteousness for the robe of blood, that is, a robe of righteousness that has been dipped in the blood of Jesus Christ today. So you can stand before him whole, complete, and new in Jesus' name. So this morning, you're in this place today, and I'm not going to ask you to bow your head, close your eyes or do any of that, but you're here this morning, and you would just simply say, you know what, James, I need to lift my horn to the Lord, because I'm tired of living in yesterday. I'm tired of living in the past. I'm tired of wishing and hoping that it can change. Today, I'm ready to lift up my horn and say, you know what, fill me afresh and anew, Father. Fill me afresh and anew, Lord. Let me move on from yesterday. Let me move on from five years ago. Let me move on from ten years ago. 
that pain that is in your heart, church, listen to me. I'm not telling you you're not going to have it. But what I'm telling you today is that you can lift your horn to the Lord and He can bring a peace that surpasses all understanding into your life and help you take a step forward out of that pain of yesterday. And there's others of you in this place this morning. You have sons and daughters that are away from the Lord. You have things in your life or in your situation that you've been asking God for and it hasn't happened yet. And maybe today you need to pull the sword out of the sheath and say, you know what, in these altars, I'm fighting for it. I'm going after God for it. I'm believing God for it today in the name of Jesus. And there's others of you this morning that you're ready to just exchange the robe of unrighteousness for the robe of righteousness today in Jesus' name. These altars are open this morning. And if God is speaking to your heart, God is talking to you this morning. Myself, others, we want to pray with you. We want to believe God for you today. We want to believe God to just feel you afresh and anew and a mighty in his mighty power. If God is speaking to your heart and God is talking to you this morning, I'm going to ask you to step out and come this morning. Meet me in this altar area today. Let us pray with you. Pastor C's going to be here. Others are going to be here. But if God is speaking to your heart this morning, these altars are wide open. And I'm asking you to come this morning and let us pray with you today in Jesus' name. Come on, church. Let's believe God for it right now. Let's believe God for it right now. God, I'm tired of living in yesterday. I'm tired of living in five years ago. I know it hurts. I know there's pain. I understand that. But God, today we're releasing and we're saying, here's my horn. Here's my life. Fill it afresh and anew. In Jesus' name. Our prayer is that God will take this word and plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. Father, we pray for your great wisdom to infiltrate this listener, draw them to you, and take them gently down the road to their next destination in life. And if you're in need of a home church, we invite you to join us at Christian Heritage Church on Shera Road in Tallahassee, Florida, a multicultural church founded on the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. For a worship service where the presence of God has first place, you're invited to Christian Heritage Church. Sunday morning service is at 10.30, Wednesday evening at 7, plus youth group and kid power and small groups and more. For all the latest information, visit our website, chctoday.com.